0: Welcome. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a serious XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say. And so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors
1: book club with michael is now in session
0: hey how exciting former professional poker player decision strategist and consultant and author of the brand new book thinking in bets making smarter decisions when you don't have all the facts annie duke is in studio with us. Annie, thanks so much for being here.
2: I'm so happy to be here. I
0: want to play for you a, uh, a tape of something that's NFL related, not because of our Eagles. Yesterday, of course, the parade, the city still sort of euphoric. All over the what schools just...
2: were canceled.
0: By the way, did you take the Eagles with the points?
2: You know what? I, did, I didn't bet on it. I don't know enough about football to feel like I have. Interesting. A so you
0: won't bet sports.
2: Well, it, I mean, if I felt like I had a good opinion, I would. But I, I don't want to just bet them for fun. So
0: it's not your bailiwick. No, no. Um, I get the Roman numerals all screwed up. So I'm yeah. going to say the 2015 Super Bowl, which if I do the math, I think was 44. Here's how it ended. Listen to this play. Play clock is five. Pass Wait for the commentary. I want you to hear it. The phenomenal play that wound up in Curse's arms. There are flags on the field for celebration. Amazing. Butler, a rookie free agent. Wait for Chris Collinsworth. Here comes. They try
2: to pick play, Al.
0: They tried to go
2: here, but he beats him to the punch. And I'm sorry. But I can't believe the call.
1: Me neither. I cannot believe the call. Cannot believe the call. Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. You've got a guy that's been borderline unstoppable in this part of the field. I can't believe the call.
0: So Annie Duke, let's paint this picture because we just heard the audio, and you write about this in the book right up front in chapter one. The Seahawks are playing the Patriots they're 26 seconds remaining they trail by four they've got the ball on second down at the New England Patriots one One yard yard line and as you just heard from Collingsworth and and the whole football world and you have all the headlines everybody says oh my god Pete Carroll did you lose your mind
2: yeah I I think the argument was not whether it was the worst call in Super Bowl history or a good call, it was like, was it the worst call in Super Bowl history or the worst call in football history? That was really where the argument was coming from. But the thing is that the, the play was actually, there's a lot of mathematical support for the play. The The simple one, I'll, I'll just give you the simple support is, they remember they only have 26 seconds left. It's second down, they're down by four, and they only have one timeout. That's really important. So if they run two running plays to try to get it into the end zone, that's all they get is two running plays because obviously on a running play, you have to burn your time out and stop the clock. If he passes and the pass is dropped, the clock stops and they still get two running plays. So that's the key. So there's three results from the pass. One is it's caught, touchdown, win. One is it's dropped, clock stop. You still get your same two running plays. And the last one is interception, which is very, very low percentage. The chance of a turnover there is, is, you know, like less than 2%. It's very, very small. But nobody saw it as Pete Carroll got unlucky. He did this unexpected play. So let me ask you, I want you to do the thought experiment.
0: Okay, just don't ask me to do math. You're going to ask me anything you want. No math.
2: Just asking you to do the thought experiment. Imagine he runs the exact same play, and the ball is caught in the end zone for a touchdown. Genius. What do you think Chris Kopp- Collingsworth would have said? Uh,
0: uh, I don't know what Chris Collingsworth. I'm kind of down on Chris Collingsworth. I'm so because, mad at him. Because of the, the Eagles. Thank
2: you. He kept <laughs> trying to take touchdowns away from us. What but, was that? But
0: but Annie, we can actually think of the play, I now know they call right. it the Philly special, special, right? So in this case, Doug Peterson looks like a genius. Yep. But let's say that play didn't go well and Nick Foles dropped it or it was intercepted. People would say, oh, Doug Peterson, what here's in the book, here's the way you summed up. You say Pete Carroll was a victim of our tendency to equate the quality of a decision with the quality of its outcome. Help me apply that to my life cuz I'm not an NFL coach.
2: Sure. So what we tend to do is when we're when we're looking out in the world and we're trying to decide whether people are good decision makers or not. If something works out, we'll tend to say, "Oh, they're a genius." And if something doesn't work out, they'll say oh, they were so bad at what they did. And the Doug Peterson example is is a really good example of the other side of it, which is what happens if you have a good outcome. So particularly in, in one of these situations where it's unexpected, people expected them to go for the field goal. Had that play gone wrong and the Eagles lost, everybody would have been going back and looking at that play and say, you were try- too tricky. Instead they said, you out Belichicked Belichick," which is exactly the treatment that um, Pete Carroll would got. I, I follow that with a story about a CEO who fires his president. And it becomes very, very hard for him to fill the spot. He's been actually, you know, searching for a replacement for a year. This is someone that I consulted with. And he says it was a horrible decision. Why did I fire the president? It was so awful. And I said, well, you haven't told me any details except that you had a bad result from it. And that seems to be why you're telling me it was a bad decision. Which doesn't
0: necessarily mean it was a bad decision.
2: Exactly. And I go through and I, I ask him all the necessary things like, why did you do it? Did you have an executive coach? You know, And it was actually this incredible, thoughtful process that the CEO had gone through before deciding to fire. And I said, well, then why do you think it was a bad decision? Um, and this is a really big problem for the way that we learn is that we tie outcomes and decisions together as if we're playing chess.
0: Can I say it my way? A, yes. ba- a bad outcome is not necessarily reflective of a bad decision.
2: Right. And I can, I, can give you, I can give you a super simple example. I have in my life gone through a green light following all the laws of the road, and I have gotten in an accident doing that. I have also run a red light a few times in my life, and I've never so much as gotten a ticket. So hopefully I don't use the outcome of those two things to determine my driving because if I did, I would not be going through green lights and I would only be going through red lights.
0: So there was data on the side of what Pete Carroll did.
2: There was very good data. And if people want to look at a a good analysis of it, go to... Uh look at Benjamin Morris on five thirty eight dot com. He's got a great analysis of why that was a good play.
0: You bested a field in two thousand and four of two hundred and thirty four players to win your first World Series of Poker bracelet the same year you triumphed in the two million dollar winner take all invitation only WSOP tournament. Do you always play the odds when you when you're playing competitively, do you always play the odds? Yes. You do? Yeah. You never, you never rely on intuition.
2: So it, here's the problem that I have with this idea of relying on intuition. Like you
0: laughed when I asked you that question. Like <laughs> that's a ridiculous question. Well,
2: because our intuition is actually usually pretty bad about things. It's, it's bad about how we would act, for example. We're, we're bad at predicting how we would act in the future. So um, here's an example in politics. It, let's say that I, I was somebody who was very pro-free trade and you told me that uh, there, I was going to vote for somebody in the future who was anti-trade. I would say to you, "Well, I wouldn't do that because because I'm pro-free trade." And yet, we know that people will do that. There, there. I actually wrote for your site on this. You're you're willing to shift your beliefs around a lot in order to conform to the political party that you happen to belong to. But people don't predict those kinds of things about themselves. Our intuition is terrible. Our what we want to think about intuition is is it's something that's you know, sort of slightly, you know, it's just below the consciousness that's being informed by our experience. And that's fine, as long as you then check your intuition against your deliberative mind, you deliberate about it, you think, is this intuition, right? So you need it to collide with rationality. And then hopefully that informs getting your intuition to be a little bit better. The
0: reason I ask you this question is you tell a story in the book about your participation. You're no longer playing cards competitively, but you're called on to go to charity events. Yes. And you do. So you talk people through the latter stages of some of these games and you lay out for them the odds. I don't want to steal your thunder. Tell, tell people what has happened that would make me want to ask about all this.
2: Yeah, I, I think this actually relates to the election and how people are thinking about polling right now. So um, in uh, poker, when all of the chips are now in the pot and there's still more cards to come, the players will turn their cards face up. And once you have two players, their cards are face up, you know exactly how often hand A and hand B will win. You (laughs) do. Right. You do. Fair. Yeah. So I was in a situation where, you know, I'm at a charity tournament and I'm the dealer. I'm dealing to the players. And two players get all of their money in the pot. And so the hands get turned face up. And one player was 76% to win the hand. And the other player was 24% to win the hand. So I announced that to the To the room because lots of people are around, they're watching, it's exciting, it's the end of the night at a charity tournament, someone's gonna win the trophy. So I say, Okay, you're 76%, you're 26%. I deal the card and the 26% hand wins. And someone in the audience yells out, You were
0: wrong. Way to go, honey. Way to go with the math. Right.
2: (laughs) You were wrong. And I said, What are you talking about? That's gonna happen a quarter of the time. That's like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday happened.
0: And you point out Nate Silver, same issue.
2: Right. So in the election. Exactly. So Nate Silver, in the last week of the election, if you looked at it, it was bouncing. Remember, there was, you know, the Comey stuff was happening and things were a little uncertain. So it was bouncing between Clinton's 60% and Trump 40%, and Clinton's 70% and Trump 30%. So again, if we think about this days of the week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that's how often does Monday, Tuesday, and half of Wednesday happen, which if you think about it that way is a lot. And yet people did this crazy roundup thinking, oh, he's 65%. Well, that means Clinton's going to win. You know, 35%, that means Trump's going to lose. So on the day before the election, you know, silver has it like 65% to 35%. The next day Trump is won, which if you're thinking about it, it, is Monday, Tuesday and half of Wednesday is not really that surprising. I assume you're not that surprised when right. the first half of the week happens. Right. And everybody screamed, you're wrong. He got so attacked and um, criticized. You're wrong. You're wrong. And then notice what the problem with that is, is that now people are saying we don't believe the polls. We don't believe the data. Science schmions. And it actually I don't think was Nate Silver's fault. I think it was the pundits fault who were saying they were looking at things that like Nate Silver was saying and looking what the polls were saying and saying Hillary Clinton's going to win 100 percent. And the problem, it's the same problem as the person who said, look, that 24 percent is wrong. People want a certain answer. They want a yes or
0: no. Yeah, I thought this was such a wake up call for me to read that part of the book. By the way, this is Annie Duke. And the book is brand new, and it's brand titled new. Thinking in Bats.
1: This is Book Club with Michael Smirconish from Sirius XM. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage.
0: As a professional welder,
2: Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
1: The Michael Smirconish Program. Listen weekdays at 9 a.m. east on POTUS, Sirius XM, Channel 124, and anytime on the Sirius XM app.
0: This is Annie Duke. And the book is brand new and it's brand titled new. Thinking in Bets. And I'm thrilled that one of our first stops is is to be right here in studio to talk about it. But that really resonated with me because I am one of those pundits who looked at Nate Silver and said, well, Hillary wins, of course. Right. Without recognizing, wait a minute, your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday example, there's a significant chance. here, Even if Nate Silver said 95 to 5, That's he's right. telling you there is a 5% chance this is going to happen. The The, the book, I, I don't want people to think that it's it's all such data and science driven because what I most enjoy are the characters. <laughs> there are so many interesting people that you've met along the way. And I want to call out a couple of them. Uh, I love the story about John Hennigan in Des Moines. Can you please give us the cliff's note version? We won't give away the whole book, but I, what happened here? It.
2: So, you know, there's a lot of downtime at poker, (laughs) Dave. Apparently. Well, you're playing, a a top poker player is only going to play around 80 ish, uh, sorry, 20 ish percent of the hands they're dealt. So so they're sitting out about 75, 80% of the time, which is a lot of time that you're sitting out. So people, people, you know, have these conversations. And one day at a table that John Hennigan was at, the conversation was about state capitals. And uh, Des Moines came up and. John Hennigan announced, and you need at this time in John Hennigan's life, he was in his twenties. He was like a nightlife guy. I'm not sure that he was usually awake during the day at all. And he would, you know, play poker and he was amazing. He's absolutely one of the most amazing poker players who has ever played the game. And then when he was done, he would like go out and like hang out with his friends at the bar and whatever. I mean, this was, you know. And um, he loved Vegas and he was like what we call an action junkie. So anyway, Des Moines comes up. John Hennigan announces, oh, I could live in Des Moines. Everybody at the table says, no, you couldn't. That's ridiculous. And as will happen at poker tables, when people have clashing beliefs, they will decide that they Wager. They're... Wager. Right. Well, we'll, have... we'll referee this. Let's have a wager. So there was a negotiation that occurred, and the group that was betting against John um, bet $30,000 that John could not move to Des Moines for a month. And there was a very diabolical condition that he had to live on a single street, that just had one hotel and one restaurant. Um, but And he was, stay there. And stay there. He wasn't allowed off the street except to go play golf during the day, and that was it. So
0: All know, negotiated at the table. All negotiated at the table. I can picture like the scene like, well, at least let me go golf. All right, right you can go golf.
2: Exactly. So they land on $30,000. Hennigan moves to Des Moines the next day, which is a little odd, I know.
0: Right, the next day. The next day. Yeah.
2: Two days later, he calls up the group.
0: Two days later. Two
2: days later, he says, look, I've already moved here, so clearly I'm going to stay. Right. (laughs) Right. Do you want to negotiate a settlement? You know, like, you know, this happens. It's like, you know, a lawsuit. You negotiate a settlement. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you guys pay me $30,000, I'll come home. So the people in the group were like, you called me after two days. I'm not buying this. They were like, why don't you stay and have a nice time in Des Moines? And a week later, he was home and had paid them $15,000. That
0: was it. He that couldn't it. do it. He, he could couldn't not do it. it. He couldn't do it. You, you are not a, um, uh, what did you call him, an action junkie? Yeah. Are, you're not an action junkie. No. Like I get the impression from you, this is business, that you don't have an addictive personality.
2: No. I Well, I don't think I do, no.
0: <laughs> do the people that you compete with? Do they typically have an addictive personality or are they business people like Annie Duke?
2: So it depends. I think mo- I'm, I think most of them are business people, but I don't think that that's um, not compatible with being an action junkie. So, for example, if you think about people who are lawyers, right, a corporate lawyer is less likely to be an action junkie than a trial lawyer, for example, who might really like the adrenaline l- this rush. This I know.
0: True. Yes. Yeah.
2: So I think that there are just people who really like, you know, the action of the game. Right. That, and that doesn't. I mean, I, he wasn't addicted. You know, he wasn't a gambling
0: addict. Okay, so I, I'm not giving it all away for free. But what one more that you have to tell me and tell everybody else? They saw a game. Oh, they saw is, yeah. a game. Explain. So
2: here, here's the problem, and I think you know, obviously, you talk politics all the time. This really tells us the problem with politics right now, which is that when we have a particular belief and we belong to a particular tribe, so we're Republicans or Democrats, or in the case of they saw a game, we go to Princeton or we go to Dartmouth. And so we're part of that tribe. The way we process information changes depending on the tribe that we belong to, because we, we look at the world and we try to process this in a way that affirms our beliefs that we have, that we belong to the right tribe, that our ideas are good, that that bad things that happen aren't our fault. And Good things that happen are to our credit. So they saw a game was a, a very famous study that was done in the 50s. There was a brutal game between Princeton and Dartmouth.
0: Back when the Ivies played serious football.
2: Right. That resulted in Casimir, Ka- who was, I think, the last Ivy League player to win the Heisman, I believe. Um, you know, he was like injured and uh, there were so many penalties and it was brutal. I mean, people were being like carried off the field. And what happened was that um, two researchers noticed that when they looked at what was said in the papers, in the Princeton paper and the Dartmouth paper uh, after the game, it was like they had watched two completely different games. The Princeton paper said, you know, Dartmouth was brutal and they were coming after us and the refs were on their side and all the things that you hear from football fans – and the Princeton players um, and the Dartmouth players were saying the same thing about the Princeton players. And in fact, they decided to go do a study and they had Princeton people watch the game and judge how many penalties and how many dirty plays and how many hits. And they were like, oh, there were there really weren't. It was all Dartmouth. And, and they actually saw more of the things that Dartmouth did and vice versa. And so they said we, we process the world in order to fit our own narrative. And we can see this in – politics, right? Democrats are saying, well, can't you see what the truth is, Republicans? Right. And Republicans are saying, can't you see what the truth is, Democrats? And the answer is no, because they belong to different tribes. So they actually process the world completely differently.
0: I was reading this, you know, you talking about a 1951 Ivy League football game, and all I could think of was the Mueller probe. Yes. And the two worlds that I try to span here on a day to day basis. And you write in the book, the book, by the way, Thinking in Bets." Whether it's a football game, a protest, or just about anything else, our pre-existing beliefs influence the way we experience the world.
2: Yeah, and there's a nice follow-on to that in in the book uh, on the protest piece, where someone actually did a study um, to that was, you know, a a tribute to. They saw a game, and they just showed video of a protest, you know, and it was the exact same video, and the signs were blurred out so people couldn't say what the signs meant. And they, and they asked somebody what their prior was, meaning, um, are you pro-choice or are you pro-life? And when they were told that the pro- – if you were pro-choice cho- and you were told that the protesters were pro-life, they saw the protesters as agitators and the police as good actors. But if you were pro-choice and you were told that the protesters were pro- pro-choice, you saw the protesters as peaceful and the police is agitators. So it's the exact same video, but depending on what your beliefs are and who you thought, whether the protesters were part of your tribe or the other tribe, you actually interpreted it completely different. differently, where the protesters, the good actors, or the police, the good actors was completely determined by what your beliefs were.
0: It's very Malcolm Gladwell-like, which is high praise. Oh, thank you. I think it's this, the book is the same kind of serious evidentiary thinking that will make you reevaluate the way you interpret public events
2: I hope current so. events
0: that's the way I and I'm I'm leaving for the reader Ira the whale I'm leaving oh. for the reader <laughs> Nick the Greek I mean I told you I love the characters that you've collected along the way just
2: to really get them read it you should say I'm leaving for the reader Ira, Ira, Ira the whale and the White Castle
0: <laughs> <laughs> the White castle I there's a great story Thank I, um, you. hey one other thing beyond the book beyond the book thinking in bets is Annie Duke's book. But not only are you are a poker champion and a decision strategist and a public speaker, you've got a lot of different attributes. But you are also the one who competed on Celebrity Apprentice, came down to the wire with Joan Rivers, Melissa Rivers, Joan of course is gone. I know the yeah. two of you didn't get along on the show and so forth. Right, shaking her head no and smiling. I appreciated talking to Melissa recently because Melissa put out a book of her mother's ephemera. Love that word. Oh, that's cool. And it's cool. really well done. Really, yeah. really well done. But I don't want to talk about Joan Rivers. The president. Uh-huh. You you just don't, as a, a rule, really want to get into a conversation about him. Am I right?
2: I, I really don't. I don't think that there's a lot of use for it. it. That, you know, he is who he is. And I think that we all have the evidence that we have. And... The fact is that depending on whether you're a supporter or not, you're going to interpret that evidence as I just said and the way you're going to interpret it. I I have written some things for your site yeah. actually that that do talk about the way that the way that we think and uh, how we interpret the world affects how we interpret politics, um, and I think that's the much more interesting place than I, that I want to be as opposed to commenting on somebody's personality, I want to comment on how is our psychology affecting the discourse that we're having? And that's really what I care about: is how do we get to a better place in public discourse?
0: Okay, I'm not going to ask you to diagnose him. In fact, I'm not even going to ask about Donald Trump, the president. Well, I because... hope you're not going
2: to ask me to diagnose him because I'm not a clinical psychologist. No. Well, thank
0: you for that, but that, <laughs> that 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 frankly has not stopped many who are, and I think they shouldn't either. No, no, no. Right. I want to just ask a more a more banal question. Sure. So, what was it like? Just give me something about what it was like interacting with him in that chapter of your life.
2: So, I mean, it was interesting because part...
0: what was it, what was he like?
2: He was like he is now. I mean, he he really was. I mean, the the thing that I will absolutely say about Donald Trump is that he is who he is. Like when he's on stage and talking or tweeting, he's not any different than he is in real life. He's not putting on a show. Right. So, you know, he's he's completely authentic. Um, And that's exactly how he is. It was was a very interesting game. I I will tell you one story about it. Um, When I was first thinking about going on the show. This was before I decided to go on the show. I I hadn't actually watched it before, so I didn't know anything strategically about the show at all. That's unlike you. Well, because I hadn't decided to go on, so Mm. I hadn't watched it before. Mm -hmm. Once I decided to go on, I watched past seasons of the show to try to understand it. Mm -hmm. But I did ask the producers one question. I said, so I just want to understand, because it's like a quasi-business show. But it's also a reality show. So I want to know which is dominating. Is he looking for someone who's really doing the business well? Or is he looking for someone who's kind of more in the conflict, like big reality TV side? And their answer was the latter. So that that's the one thing that I ever, you know, that I'll say. Doesn't surprise I, me. I, doesn't surprise you, right? Yeah. So that's why I'm saying like he's authentic. Like how he was there is is how he is.
0: Right, he you, likes the show. He right, you would have show. you would have thought th- if they were interested in you that it was the former, not the latter. Right? Yeah. I not mean, you're not Omar. You're not, but you're not Omarosa. You're a you're a per- This will be disrespectful to her, but you're a person of substance.
2: Well, you know, you need. I, I was hoping. I mean, I'd like to think this could be motivated reasoning on my own part that I just want to think well of myself. But I'd like to think that you know you always need foils. I would I would hope that I was being cast as the foil. I don't
0: I don't as opposed to right as
2: opposed to the Amarosa. Well, well, I don't know. Well,
0: you in the end you were Jones foil. I mean, it's Yeah, the two I ended of you, up right? Jones foil. You were Jones foil. I did. So yeah. maybe
2: the proof is in the pudding. And we'll and, see. and
0: by the way, I'm sure it was fun and everything, but you wanted to win.
2: Well, of course That's who I did. Annie I'm, a, Duke I'm is. a games player. Of course right. I wanted to win. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hey, I wish you all good things. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. I really, really well, thought it was terrific, you. and I feel like I learned things. But I, I like reading about characters and life and and thought processes, so it had all the ingredients for me.
2: Oh, good. I'm the, glad. The book
0: is titled Thinking in Bets. Thinking in Bets. Annie Duke is the author.
1: Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124, and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at smirconish.com. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Visit AllBirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S code SUPER24. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party
2: candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more—